Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. She played at McEwen, Red Deer, and U of A, where she won a national championship. She's coached for UNB and with Team Canada with our sitting team, and is currently with our women's indoor team, where she's been with the U21 team. She'll be with the U19 team, and I'm sure she'll be with Eddie Level over the next few years. And she's currently the head coach of the Calgary Dinos. Please welcome to the show, Christine Biggs. Christine, thanks for doing this. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. So we got a lot of coaching stuff to get to, and I feel like that's where you and I are going to nerd out the most, but let's cover the playing thing first. So obviously you've made a career out of coaching. You've played at a post-secondary level. You've coached a ton, but was volleyball always kind of your sport or what else were you into as a little kid before you kind of wanted to make volleyball your profession? So I've actually had kind of a weird path into the volleyball world. Um, started volleyball in like week long camps. My, my parents are both teachers. So they'd get back into school before us kids would and they'd throw us in summer camps and I didn't really play a lot on teams I was a, a gymnast up until grade 10 and realized I couldn't try out for the volleyball team with my gymnastics schedule quit gymnastics it was too late so I really didn't get into gym or into volleyball as a team sport as an athlete and kind of in the club level until grade 11 so super late to the sport which, yeah, kind of, kind of, I think, odd this day and age to enter this late. There's kids playing earlier and earlier. Um, but I do think that kind of multi-sport background, I was a, a gymnast, a track athlete, um, did a lot of like individual sports, skiing, snowboarding, water skiing, that kind of stuff. So I think those all, all helped me transition into the sport. I don't want to say seamlessly. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> if you had to think about it, what kind of ignited it for you? Like you mentioned you were doing a lot of individual sports, so maybe you were looking for a team sport, but what was it about volleyball that made you want to give up other activities and focus on it more? Yeah, I think maybe some of the environments that I was um, a part of G gymnastics, maybe isn't the, I, I, and maybe it's changed. I don't want to dog gymnastics, but I don't think it's always been like uh, the friendliest environment. I also am not the correct body type for gymnastics. Not that I found my true calling as a volleyball athlete in five, eight. Um, but I think it was kind of to the point where I had maybe reached my potential as a gymnast or potentially exceeded what I should have been doing and wanted to find something where I could kind of continue to grow. And so I think the athleticism that I gained from gymnastics helped me be fast. Like I actually transitioned into volleyball as a middle but yeah, I, I was strong. I was fast. And so coaches were excited and thought that they could teach me to have volleyball skills <laughs> <laughs> or they were optimistic. I don't know. <laughs> so with you coming in so late, uh, for you to play post-secondary and to play at the programs you did, like, when did you know that you could play at college university? Like, did you reach out to coaches? Were they reaching out to you? Did you play with some other talented athletes that you're like, Oh, I'd like to play at university too. That sounds like fun. Like what was your jump to the next level? Well, I think one of the things, like my parents had always put me in U of A camps and mate camps. So I'd been around kind of the uh, post-secondary programs um, growing up. But, uh, you know, I'd go and watch games and that I thought it was fun to watch. I, I really admired and like I have, um, you know, players that played at U of A that I watched year after year that I thought I want to do that one day. I remember a midget open and my brother was playing and uh, national team was doing red-white matches. And I remember being like, that looks just phenomenal. I want to do that one day. Um, so I think that kind of sparked that path. Um, I don't know if that I knew that I was going to, I, I definitely didn't know that it was possible for me, but it was, I would say more of a hope. Um, I played club volleyball for Griffins, which was run under uh, the coaching staff at that time for McEwen. And 
kind of didn't think I had a chance and they, they laughed at me because I was like, I wonder if I could, you know, continue to play. And they're like, that's why you're in our club. Like it was kind of like this inside. I don't know. They love to make fun of me, but they were like, that's, that's why we brought you into this club is because we want you to come play college. We thought you knew that. And I had no idea. Um, yeah. So I felt pretty lucky at that point. And then I think just kind of kept looking to what was next. Yeah. Did volleyball kind of lead to your school choices or were you chasing like what degree and diploma you wanted or what kind of led you to go from McEwen to Red Deer and then eventually to U of A? Yeah, absolutely zero clue is what led me to be bouncing around. So um, both my parents were teachers and I knew I didn't want to do that. Um, so other than that, I wasn't really sure. I liked the Z, I liked activity. I liked that, that kind of, um, that kind of schooling really interested me. Uh, but I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. So McEwen, I was in the Z, um, didn't do great, had not a positive experience with the team, had a bunch of friends, um, traveling in Australia. And I was actually slated to go transfer to Nate when there was a coaching change at McEwen and pulled the trigger really late and booked a trip trip to Australia to join some friends overseas rather than uh, continue on. So that kind of led to that, that transition out of McEwen and, I did three years off and ended up back um, emailing Talbot Walton and saying, I don't know if you have any idea who I am, but I miss volleyball so much. Um, I need to get back into school. I had been TAing at that time and in programs for kids with special needs and was looking to get the education degree that I had been denying for 22 years. So (laughs) Um, yeah, ended up being really welcomed by Talbot. He was um, yeah, a great great person to have kind of bring me back into a sport it wasn't like I said it wasn't a great experience at McEwen for me personally so it was a good person to get me back in love with the sport and and teach me different ways of coaching and uh yeah kind of modeling that so that led to a transition a transfer to U of A after one year at, at uh, Red Deer College and then two years at U of A. So you mentioned your your parents are teachers and obviously you're a high performing athlete but I am curious when you go through a master's of coaching degree was there anything that stood out, whether it was like the motor learning or ways of teaching, or even like maybe you went down the rabbit hole, technical, tactical, like, was there anything that you studied and you're like, oh, that's, that's why we do it this way. Or that's the way that we're progressing. Like, was there any course that you really dove into? You're like, this is so cool. Yeah, I think, um, honestly, like the, the sports science side of things, um, it was always something like, like I have a phys ed degree, like or a kinesiology degree, I think it's called now. Um, but I had that and then I had the education courses, the masters, um, I felt like was a really good way to just like broaden all previous topics. (laughs) Um, there were definitely some people in the master's programs, like, uh, one of the hockey students had come from business. So I think for him, it was all kind of like, this is all brand new, the sports science stuff. And, um, like for me, it was, it really felt like kind of additional, armor and and additional information that would help me work with an IST. I think that was a big part of what I took from the masters was um, kind of that immersion in the environment because the practicums are all through U of A. So there was the immersion in working with like head coaches, multiple assistant coaches, like on massive staffs that, you know, you could get a degree in how to manage staffs of that size. Um, So I think that was something that I tried to take from there and, um, and then just being able to, to look at what your, your own staff are doing with a critical eye. So I want to put full trust in my strength and conditioning coach because they are trained in strength and conditioning. 
but I've got to have enough of a background knowledge that I can look at what's going on and be like, I got to question this, explain more. Um, I don't think I need to be able to run the strength and conditioning program as this is just an example, but um, I think that was one of the areas that the the master's program was really good for is just kind of equipping, um, equipping us to be, you know, more critical in, in how we do things. And the, the main thing that I liked about the master's was our, our cohort or our class, uh, had, had students from different sports. So it was a lot of like best practices from other sports and some of the discussions and like the engagement because everyone, it was just small classes. So everyone was there because they truly had passion for coaching in whatever field they were in. And yeah, I think the, the collaboration in class and then, you know, like you finish an exam and you had for a beer to celebrate it. And um, some of those conversations were just exceptionally valuable in, in terms of like how things are being done in basketball and climbing and swimming and um, kind of drawing from other experiences that, that normally I think it'd be great to have access to, but you don't have time, right? Like the schedule just gets so busy that, you know, what volleyball coach is like, Oh, I want to know how football is doing this. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. And then obviously with U of A and you mentioned the staff, they're like in the volleyball world, how does Lori tie this together? Cause whether it's yourself or uh, we've had Natasha on the show who's obviously coaching at the university level now, like it seems like you take your, your masters at U of A and if you're lucky enough, you get on to sit on the bench with Lori, like does she create those learning opportunities or is it kind of phased in where you might start as a ball bopper just because they're so busy and competing for a national championship. And then you, you go through the years and maybe you're, you're brave enough to kind of question some stuff or ask why you do a certain way. Like uh, how did your relationship with Lori and how did she kind of support the, what you were learning in the classroom to the practical side kind of add up? Yeah. Well, and I think, I honestly do think that every staff member that walks through those doors has a very different experience. So I'll speak to mine. Um, I think I've been really fortunate um, of playing for Lori before I was, you know, considering the coaching world um, and really had a lot of respect for her and, and kind of the success that she's bred over the years. I experienced a really positive, I felt like I grew a lot under her leadership. I, I felt like my teammates did the same. We obviously we won a national championship. That's probably got, went a long way. Like, um, so I just had Lori on this pedestal. She'll probably be on this pedestal forever, right? Like, she was a great role model for me as an athlete. Um, when I started into my teaching career, um, I was doing tons of coaching on the side. I was doing club volleyball. Started my own beach volleyball club um was doing team alberta like literally every second i had free i was jam packing it with coaching um and so when Lori decided to start the pandas volleyball club she had reached out to myself and a couple of other alumni to, to say like let's get this thing off the ground together and i think her faith in me in that aspect was motivating but also i think a good stepping stone into um eventually the master's program and kind of feeling like this is something that not only I enjoy, but like maybe could be successful at at another level other than, um, you know, jamming a, a full teaching schedule full of additional coaching opportunities. So I think the level that um, I wanted to keep coaching in addition to teaching was just unsustainable long term. And it was a good kind of like tipping point to be like, you should come, you should come do this program or you should consider this program. <laughs> So it definitely felt like a leap of faith. And I, I had a lot of friends at the time that were struggling to get teaching jobs and I was voluntarily leaving one. So sometimes I wonder if that was a, 
a foolish move, but um, yeah, I know I think long-term it, it kind of was just like this building relationship with Lori um, having faith and having trust in me and, um, and then defining the roles, you know, in conjunction with the master's program. So uh, practicum surrounding uh, recruiting one year. And then my final project was actually on uh, gratitude in sport, which was kind of sparked with um, one of my, one of my sports psych classes with uh, John Dunn, who's one of my favorite props at, um, at U of A. So that's kind of how, how my experience went. Um, it is a massive staff and I think it's, it's super challenging. I think that's, one thing Lori does really well is she she ensures that she knows what everyone's strengths are, roles, they might be limited, but there's lots of opportunities for learning and you really can immerse yourself, you know, as deeply in that program as you wanted to. She really has an open door policy and um, yeah, I think the opportunities are there for the people that are willing to put in the time and, and effort. Now, I'm certainly not trying to aid you. I'm just uh, I'm trying to comment for our listeners here that uh, I find that gratitude and growth mindset are buzzing now, but I just trying to get my timeline right. When I think you were doing your master's, I think that was still near the front end. So I'm curious, how did you choose the gratitude one to be your topic? And like, how much research was it? Because now I feel like you can find dozens of podcasts to talk about it. But I feel like you might have been on the front end of like the importance of that. And now it's it's trickled down and then clubs are practicing, right? But at that time, I I don't feel it was mainstream. Maybe I'm misspeaking, but I'm just curious what made you grasp to that well that, that's honestly what it was what like we were we the assignment was essentially to try to pick um you know some construct that that we wanted to look into in sport and so you know there was there were people looking at grit there were people looking at mindfulness um i personally like gratitude is something that resonated with me and I and I hadn't seen anything in sports so I kind of did a deep dive and I was like is this out there like is is this happening um and there wasn't anything so I started to kind of like just dig into what was there surrounding gratitude in the history of it um and kind of basically was putting together a proposal that this is something that could potentially be a valuable tool in the sport and yeah um the irony of this was that as I was doing this digging um I was actually Actually, at, uh, maybe it was, was it VNL in Ottawa? I think. Anyways, I started like chatting with Kerry McDonald and I'm telling him about, he's asking how schools go and I'm telling him like, oh, this is what my final project is on. And he was at UBC and he's like, he's like, Biggs, this is insane. He's like, I, I'm doing this with my team. Like, I don't know if he was doing it once a week or like the start of every practice, but like he had a routine with his UBC guys where they were doing gratitude. So I like stumbled upon it as something that I was like, this, this has legs, like this could be really, this could be really important, really valuable. Like, and he was like, yeah, I can share with you what we've been doing. So, um, yeah, it was kind of, kind of cool, but it definitely didn't really exist in sport at that time. And, um, it has been, it has been interesting to see it, as you say, begin to buzz. And I think it's, there's good and bad in it. I think um, as it starts to buzz, people just start to grab it without understanding it um, <laughs> at times. So I, 
I definitely see some things where I'm like, well, that's that's not what we're that's not it. <laughs> You're practicing it wrong. Um, but uh, you know, is there a wrong way to do yoga? Is there a wrong way to practice gratitude? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I'd love to circle back and kind of go through some more theory stuff, but just to kind of finish off your timeline. Uh, how did the UNB opportunity come up? Because as somebody who grew up out West, you coached out West, and now you're going to, to the other coast and you're going to go be a Maritimer. Uh, what was the interview process? How did you hear about that role? Like what excited you about going to the AUS? Yeah, um, well, how I heard about it was really uh, uh, one of the other staff, uh, a friend of mine uh, on the U of A staff, we were at Nationals and we're like sitting around the banquet table and he like elbows me. He's like, Hey, I heard a rumor. Like, what's this? He's like, I heard a rumor that UND is going to be hiring. So I don't know even know where he heard it, but that's where I heard it first. Um, and I mean, it was that was a big decision. Um, definitely the interview process. I th- I think I probably entered it with caution. I I was like, this is a big move. This is a league I don't know a ton about. Um, I'd been to Fredericton once with, as a player <laughs> with U of A for nationals. Um, and we were like, we were white out, snowed out. Like it was, it, it wasn't like, Oh, this is Fredericton and it's lovely here or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but I do remember the national experience being good. It was a well-run event, those types of things. People seemed great. Um, but yeah, I was, I was kind of nervous going through interview process, not really sure a where it'd stand and, and be feeling like there was a shot. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, I don't know, it was thorough, but as it went on, I just felt more and more comfortable that it was a good fit for me. And, uh, John Richards, uh, AD there, that's got a background in volleyball. He's actually, a, I mean, he runs the national championships for VC, um, was the former coach, uh, two coaches prior to me being there and, and was a great support. And, um, yeah, I, I, by the time I had accepted the job, I was just so pumped. Like I went from being like, I don't know about this. to like, yeah, diving in head first. So now doing some research for the show, I don't want to pump your tires too much, but to take over a program that was looking for a new coach and kind of threw up the goose egg one season to then your coach of the year and you're winning games. Like, what do you credit to that? Like, was it you applying your, your coaching theory and just getting in the gym? Was it your excitement? Was it just the right time for those athletes who were maybe now a year older and they had a new voice? Like if you had to kind of narrow it down for me, what caused this, I don't want to over dramatize it. It wasn't a one eighty, but it was pretty close to a, a change in the team. Right. Yeah. I think, um, honestly, like I, I think that credit would go to the athletes and the staff. Like I, I, I don't know, I don't know, like, you know, I only know from the day I got there on, so I don't know what, what it looked like previously, but I really felt like the willingness to, uh, take risks, take chances to work hard, to, I assume, make some changes. Um, all of those things were really, really well received. And I think, you know, as a, as a coach going into a program, there's maybe risk reward of going into a team that hasn't won a game the year before. Um, right. The the risk obviously being, you don't win a game again. Um, but the reward or, you know, the the pro for for me was that there was a lot of people, um, really motivated to be in a different place than they were. Um, it wasn't a people problem. It was just potentially a new way of doing things. And, um, yeah, I was really, really grateful that the, the coaching staff and the IST really got behind our ideas and the athletes really bought in and just kind of went 110% at whatever we were asking them to do. And I think 
that uh, they were rewarded for that. So. And did you feel yourself getting more comfortable, whether it was meeting coaches in the community or just knowing what the AUS demanded? Like it, it is different going from the Canada West to a different conference. So what did you do personally just to make sure that you were prepared and confident what you were doing with your own planning? Um, yeah, it was, it was for sure an adjustment. Um, I mean, even just repeat weekends against opponents because Pan West schedule that I had come from had just been like, you get one weekend, one shot at this team and, then you may not see them again until playoffs or ever again. Um, so it was definitely um, a big part of the adjustment for me of, of switching conferences, just the approach and like teaching athletes how to use video to, to match plan. And um, it, it kind of, I think for me felt like it was easier to stick with uh, more of a growth mindset process because we we would see a team and we knew we were going to see them again. And then we knew we would get to know them better and see them again. So I think it was maybe, maybe it's more on the sports like side of things, but it was, it felt, um, it felt easier to keep the, the athletes in a place where they could trust that we weren't there yet, but we would be, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like where this is how much progress we made this, this, or since last time we saw them. And now we're going to be even better when we see them again. And, um, yeah, that, that's something that's challenging to do in a can rest schedule. It's like, we've got to be on this weekend <laughs> because you get the W's or you don't. And that's on your, that's on your schedule and behind you with no, no chance for redemption. <laughs> and then the, the Calgary job gets posted. Did you have, uh, any rumors, anyone feeding you what was coming up? Like, uh, what made you, obviously like you, you were having success, you're probably happy at UNB, but just the opportunity to come home. Like, what did that mean to you when you saw that job posting or you had a chance to apply for that one? Oh yeah. There's really never been any time where I've been more conflicted than when I started getting those messages. Um, yeah, absolutely love UNB. Um, the the job itself was I would say was perfect for me. It was a great environment. Loved my coaching hallway. Loved my leadership there. Um, loved the city of Fredericton. Um, I think especially being in COVID <laughs> and having gone out there by myself, completely by myself, um, it was a tough time to be out there. Uh, so I think in terms of like the Calgary posting. Well, yeah, two things. <laughs> I really missed my family and friends by that point, um, had been kind of locked up. So there was definitely um, a desire to be, you know, rebubbled in a place where I was with my closest people and not people I'd just met, as lovely as they were. Um, and then I think the other piece was kind of just this long-term dream to be in that job. And, you know, it was something that... I, I don't, I don't even know if it was a spoken thing. I feel like I told Talbot, um, that I was going to be the coach at UFC one day. Like, um, I, I've always loved the city of Calgary. My family's from Calgary and had grandparents there when I was growing up and I've still got aunts, uncles, cousins, and not there. So, um, I, I love the proximity to the mountains. I'd always had tons of respect for Dino's programming. Um, Kevin was, Kevin Boyles was there when I was playing and I just was like, one day, like when I was transferring from college, I was like, I don't know what my opportunities are, but I uh, had a conversation. I'm sure he doesn't remember uh, <laughs> seeing if I could go play for the Dinos. Um, but I think long-term it all worked out really well. And I ended up wearing, uh, wearing red 
uh, <laughs> which I didn't think was going to happen, but was a bit of a dream for a while still. And I'm glad you mentioned just your role in the community and how you're so familiar with it. Because when we had a friend of the show, Thomas Sora, he's an Ontario guy and he plays on the men's team with the Dinos. And it's just amazing how much the community supports the Dinos and vice versa. And I just looked up and down your roster and man, there's a lot of Calgary girls on there. And I know at tryouts or when you're recruiting, you're not looking at, at their addresses, right? But it just seems that Calgary is such a good volleyball community that it's nice to have that pipeline. So do you, yeah. do you ever feel any urgency or maybe, maybe pressure is not the right word, but just as the Calgary Dinos head coach, is it important for you to be in the community talking to high school kids, talking to clubs because man, it's a volleyball hotbed and they want to support the Dinos. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's. I'm really fortunate to be in a city that loves volleyball, and I think, like you said, like it's a hotbed for. I think a lot of reasons. There's a lot of great coaches in the community. There's a lot of ex-national team players uh, involved in the volleyball world in the city of Calgary, um, and so I think there's there's really good exposure. There's really good learning happening um, across a broad spectrum of clubs in the city. Um, there's competition between clubs in the city, which I think sometimes can be a little catty, but also I do think it like, I think it drives people to continue to try to be better. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're not working to be the best, then you fall behind. And I think that that provides a better, um, environment for athletes to be getting the best as well. So I don't think it's, you know, obviously I'm, I'm new enough to Calgary that the roster isn't reflective of all people that I've brought in. Like there's, there's a lot of athletes um from the city that have been brought in by previous coaching staff and um I, I don't think that that's by accident and I don't see there being a, a big need for change there like you said we're we're not looking at addresses when we're looking at the best fit but I think we have so many great athletes within you know our doorstep that uh it's a good way to keep the community involved I think it's good for student athletes there's there's pros for student athletes to not have to move way across the country for their first year and obviously some are looking for that but uh expense wise and comfort levels of home visiting family all those types of things so yeah I, I feel lucky that we're in that environment and this year was challenging you, you know you mentioned like getting out and being in high schools being in the club world and um I really took a I would say a cautionary approach to overexposing myself with COVID still out there um I would be lying if I wasn't <laughs> if I didn't say I was like on my toes every day about like, is the league going to be canceled? Is there going to be an outbreak? Are we going to get shut down? So like, I, I really tried to be, you know, in my own bubble and, and keep our program as safe as possible this first year. And that was hard because I do like to be out working with, um, with developmental, developmental programs. Like I love the you know 13 to 18 new club system and, uh, hopefully we'll be out there a lot more this year. So now uh, I'm thankful that you shared your UNB process about the growth mindset and the repetitive opponents. And uh, I'm curious if you can let us in behind the scenes, you're the host for nationals. And does that ever like tempt you or maybe a pessimist would kind of have that laissez faire attitude about, Oh, the regular season doesn't matter. We, we've booked our spot. We have a quarterfinal in March. We know we're playing. So how did you yeah. approach that where growth mindset, gratitude, but also like we're building and we can't just say, Oh, we'll turn it on in February and March. Like how do you lead a team yeah. that knows they're in a quarterfinal already? Yeah. Well, I think it's funny that you bring that up because that was probably the topic of our first in-person meeting. Like, team meeting it was like all right uh, I need to know who we are as a team this is this is where we're going to be on this date nobody else in the country knows that 
we're the only team in the country that knows we've got a quarterfinal book. So like, what does that mean to the team? And it was awesome. Like I, I was really excited by a lot of the responses that we got from the group. Like there was a general, I would say understanding of the risks of that situation. Um, I think our leadership, like Kenzie, Kenzie was phenomenal. She was uh, Mandarin. She learned her sixth years, maybe. Um, but yeah, the leadership she provided in that meeting of being like, like we rest knowing this, and we are going to be just miserable when it arrives. So like, we have to use that as motivation. We, you know, we can't be leaning those types of things. So it was great that 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 messaging was coming kind of from coaching staff, coming from veteran players, and um, I think really embraced by some of the younger players or those that hadn't really probably given that a thought before, had never been striving towards the national championship before. Um, so yeah, it was honestly, I think it was a great thing for our program. I think it was a great thing um, for those athletes returning uh, that had kind of maybe been robbed of that experience with COVID uh, a couple of years prior, but I also think just a perfect um, intro season for the first and second years that hadn't played a full league and, and to see what, you know, a successful season can look like if you make it all the way and, and that opportunity to, to host national championship at home and the excitement surrounding that, I think um, will be pretty motivating for us in seasons to come as well. So Nice. So to kind of circle back, because this perked up my ears a little bit when you're talking about uh, overdoing the theory, because I think uh, as coaches, we all fall into that trap, whether it's, uh, you know, it's proven if the athlete learns it intrinsically that it's going to stay and perform better. But that doesn't mean you don't give feedback and plant ideas in the athlete's head sometimes or, or like give them the answer sometimes. So uh, I'm curious through your own education, but then also being in the gym and going through the grind a little bit. Is there any other theories that you're kind of like, oh, I tried this and it just blew up in my face or something where you see other coaches maybe not abuse it is the right word, but not applying it correctly. Like, is there anything that stands out in your mind, whether it's, you know, the motor learning or growth mindset are, are really peaking right now. I, I'm curious, is there anything that you've tried and you're like, man, in class, this sounded so good, but it's not working for me right now. Oh man. Oh, that's, a, that's an on the spot question. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think like, honestly, I think this is, this is what where my brain goes to from this question is I feel like, Everything that we do has pros and has unintended consequences. So I think like you're going to like, no matter what you're applying, I always feel like you're, you're moving in the direction that you want to move or like you gain this advantage, but then something else becomes a new problem because of that advantage you gained or because. Of, so I think it's just like, for me anyways, a, a, a really like trying to keep broad awareness of what else is happening and not just kind of coasting on like, okay, I've applied this growth mindset and now we're all happy and we're growing and we're growing and now we're not competing. Like it's just having eyes on like, so what's next? So what's now the problem? And like continuing to try to solve the new problems. There, there are never no problems <laughs> and they're never problems their only solution no i think i think that's kind of the the piece for me it's just always having an eye out for unintended consequences and then 
what are the new solutions for those things? And how would you su- suggest somebody navigate that? Because I think one thing that got overblown was uh, in the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers were all about, oh, it's a process, guys. It's a process. which so basically gives you this illusion that you have time and that there's going to be next yeah. year where, again, you don't fire up or you don't think you have to get it done now or you like you risk, like you said, not competing, right? So uh, how would you kind of handle those situations where, yes, we're going to encourage learning and we want everybody to get better, but at the end of the day, it's still a sport and we're keeping score and we want you to compete and perform like is there a difference between performing and learning for you or do you try to combine it in your gym oh i I definitely think that there's i definitely think that there's a difference um and there's there's certainly like elements of a practice or a training block where it it's like error based like we are expecting mistake after mistake after mistake because we're asking people to completely change something or to do something in a way they've never done them before so i think um, you know, defining those things and, and trying to communicate that to the group um, so that they know when it's okay for <laughs> things to get really ugly for a while and then when it's time to dial in. And, um, you know, we talk about, we, I mean, we, we talk about it, we have drills to kind of support those types of things of like, you know, you you make a mistake at this point and we're going back to 20 or, you know, there's there's elements of, the training environment where you can teach uh, more of like a risk style of a risky style of play or an aggressive style of play um, versus a controlled style of play. And I think a a lot of it is building self-awareness in athletes. Um, But yeah, I, I I think there's definitely a tightrope in terms of like the learning process if you're too soft in that and like you're letting things go because it's like, you know, everyone's learning, there's going to be mistakes. It's, it's keeping other things or holding, holding athletes accountable and holding staff to, accountable to other things like intention and focus and um, those other pieces that I don't know, sometimes performance, you know, performance drops and, and it could drop for a variety of reasons. Is it dropping because we're learning something new and because we haven't mastered a skill or is it dropping because we know it's okay for us to make mistakes and so intention is lower or um yeah, those those types of things. So I think just having a keen eye on those those things and and building that culture where it's understood this is the time to go and, and this is the time to like explore and <laughs> play around with something new. And and have you found a way to measure that in your gym? Because again, to touch on some theory, like uh, challenge point, I think is, is crept into a little bit of the mainstream. And you read some articles and they think, oh, like two thirds, the athlete should fail, but they also shouldn't be too successful because then they're bored. But if they only succeed, maybe two out of 10 times, they're going to be frustrated and they're not going to learn, right? Where uh, I think there is times for an athlete to only be able to do something very complex, maybe three at a time, three at a 10, excuse me, and they're going to be bad for a while. And maybe they're going to get to five and they're going to stay there a while. Like, uh, I think that's an example of sometimes the theory doesn't match what's happening in your gym but how have you found a way to balance like the challenge point versus maybe you're giving them eight weeks to learn the skill and they want to learn it today right so they're fighting to get better now and you're kind of like ah, we can wait on this but yeah intention and focus need to be up like how do you fight the battle between those things yeah well i think the the other thing is like looking at the process and and what is what is short term and what is long term because i think like where my where my brain went when you're asking about that is like a first year athlete, like an athlete might be a two out of 10 in their first year in execution of a skill. Um, but I'm okay with a two out of 10 because 
by their second, third year, we need them to be a six out of 10 in a skill. So it's almost like, and, and I think in new sport, it, it's a little different because we've got athletes typically in our programs for four to five years. If you look at red shirts, sometimes six, COVID six, seven, um, <laughs> hopefully never again, six, seven, as much as we love those athletes. But um, yeah, I think like, long-term can be, you know, we're going to give this a month and so we're okay. But long-term can also be like, this is a two-year thing. Like this athlete needs to develop the strength. They need to develop the confidence. Like there's so many pieces, um, especially looking at women developing from high school. Like they're coming in as 17 year olds and leaving at 23. Like that is a massive amount of change that can occur at that time. And so if someone's not successful as an 18, 19, 20-year-old and they're made to feel accountable because they haven't gotten it yet, then we're limiting, you know, women that could be on the national team, I think. Like, I, I think there's there's still so much growth to happen. And maybe I'm biased in that way because I was so late to get things figured out. Um, but, I, but I really believe that there's so much learning that's still taking place. Um, and, and I think it, it's reflective of, you know, the teams that – that were successful at, at nationals this year. Like you're looking at pandas with a lot of fourth, fifth, sixth year athletes. You're looking at Trinity had, I don't know what their makeup is as tightly because I didn't have those athletes like under my radar for a couple of years, but I know that they were a, a more veteran lineup, Mount Royal, same thing. A lot of fourth, fifth, sixth years, um, you know, almost an identical lineup to what was you know, slotted to be at nationals the two years before. So um yeah there's just there's to me there's just so much um so much value in having the patience and kind of the stick with it on the development of things for women in the sport at at this age group like it's you know we look at kind of like well 13 to 15 we want to develop these skills but I I really have believed because I've seen a lot of uh people develop what they need really late compared to what I've heard other coaches kind of you know, if they haven't figured it out by 18, they're not going to figure it out. I hate that. Like, I, I, re- I really hate that. So it's like, stick with the process. Don't put people in boxes about where they're at and just all of a sudden demand performance because they're not done growing. They're not done learning. You know, I, I believe that at every age, but. And I hear you describing this as a coach. I'm nodding my head a lot, but I'm curious, how do you present this to your team? Because there might be a situation where maybe athlete A gets a little bit of a pass or a little bit of long-term development, but maybe to me, like I, I'm getting chewed out a little bit of practice or I'm getting like told that I need to do more. I need to perform now because I'm a fourth year. Like, how do you describe where like we're doing the same skill and we're both equals on the team, but like you can be more demanding on a certain athlete based on their pathway. Like how do you communicate that? So when you're in those heated moments that an athlete's like, Oh, you're, you're treating me unfair because you're being harder on me than this athlete. Um, yeah, like I hope I'm not treating anyone unfairly, but I think for me, the standard of what's expected of someone is what they've proven they can do. So if, if I'm coaching Josh in the gym and I know that you're hitting your serve, your game serve eight out of 10 times, um, in a training environment. And then in a, in a match, you're hitting it four out of 10 times. That's when you're going to hear from me, right? You're not executing to the level that I know that, that you've proven that you can do time and time again. Um, so whether you're a first year or fourth year, I try to know what you're capable of. And I try to make sure that the standards are individualized to you and what you've proven to be able to do. And then we're always raising the bar. 
right? So it's like, now you've shown you can hit eight of 10. Eight of 10 is a great range. Now we need to increase the pace on that server. We need to increase, decrease the, the target size. You need to be more meticulous with your target. And so finding ways to increase and continually move the bar up um, based on how people are growing. And um, yeah, I think, you know, in, in a team of, you know, 14 to 20 players, sometimes everybody's going to be having these moments where they accelerate and, and they're going to have more stagnant moments, but it's like finding ways to challenge everybody to kind of perform at the level they're capable of and then push to that next level. So I think it's, I don't know what it's the saying. This is not fair it's e- or equal is fair. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. So this yeah. is, this is awesome to hear how you want to run your program. And then what's the room like when you join uh, Carolyn and Shannon and the other national team coaches. And like, there's just so much experience and so many ways to do things. Like what's it like just being a part of those coaches rooms? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I know Carolyn for a really long time, so I haven't had a lot of surprises there. I love working with Carolyn. Um, and, and we're good friends. We just, we're, we're good at spending time together. I think it's, um, been really nice to see her in the volleyball Canada world and see her, um, in the new role with next gen. And, and she's definitely an ideas person, but I think she's one of those like incredibly unique people that is not just the ideas person. She's the ideas person. And then she is also the muscle person. So she's like not afraid to dive into the work needed to be done to put those ideas in motion. Um, Shannon is like a new contact for me. I was really lucky to be able to go to next gen tryouts and, and see her run the first few days of next gen tryouts. Um, I, I was, I really enjoyed the space. Um, I think it was awesome to see a, a woman that's like upfront, straight to the point, um, high demands. Yeah, just kind of not not holding back on the things that uh, she believes need to be different or you know to challenge things. So um, yeah, that was a great first experience, and I'm I'm really looking forward to hopefully getting some more of those opportunities to be in her gym. Um, especially with the 19U program coming up because I, I, I really believe in what Volleyball Canada is doing right now in terms of expanding the pathway and, and building entry points for um, athletes at, at different age groups to get a Volleyball Canada experience and, and, and really to work to build our national team and, and the pathway to get there. I, I think visibility and those experiences go a long way drawing from the all the provinces and giving kids those opportunities is really, really special and really important part of our, you know, on the podium kind of success. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to touch on that, kind of putting you on the spot here and believe me, I, I'm not uh, saying, Oh, this is what Christine said. This must be what volleyball Canada is doing, but I am curious because I was talking about this with somebody the other day, like a pessimist might say, Oh, the NAP program is bad for our sport because it limits the talent pool and it gives them extra exposure. And like those 12 athletes, like they're the only ones who are going to be on the national team. But just hearing you describe U19 and U21 and next gen, there's several entry points. Like I think the NAP program is great for athletes who are good now and have shown international potential, but it doesn't mean if you're not in NAP now, it doesn't mean your national team career is over. Right. So just speak to your experience as a university coach and everything like that. And these entry points, like uh, how important is that for volleyball Canada to kind of check these many boxes? Cause I think talent ID is, is it's impossible to put it lightly. Like there's no right way to do it. So just talking from your experience, like how would you encourage an athlete? Maybe if they're not in NAP that like, this isn't the end. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think obviously, obviously, I'm I'm not speaking on behalf of Volleyball Canada. I didn't design any of this, but I'm a I am a big supporter. Um, I think one of one of the great pieces of this modeling is that there are entry points and and with 100% authenticity, there are exit points all along this way. So building entry points is is a to me a great way for more and more athletes to get that exposure to what um, the national team training environment looks like, what the expectations are. Because I think like talent identification, I think is a huge part of expanding the national team. Um, but I think it's also like people knowing that they maybe have that potential. So even just touch points of like, you know, I, I got an invitation, whether I accepted it or not, like maybe that's there, or maybe that's not. And there's going to be athletes that are talented enough that don't have the interest. They don't have the love of the game. They don't, they're not willing to, um, you know, maybe put the time in over the summers or they're not willing to uh, take some years after university before they start working. And, and there are challenges, you know, different <laughs> at every, at, you know, every athlete coming from every different family situation, coming from different provinces, different exposure levels. Um, that, that was apparent to me in New Brunswick, right? Of, of uh, just, you know, the, the base knowledge of what the, the national team programs were doing wasn't as strong as it was, as I had experienced um, athletes knowing things from Alberta. So I think it's just like building that, making sure that across the country, everybody that's interested knows what, the potential pathway is and then those that are continuing to be successful are those that are late bloomers those that are early bloomers and don't you know continue with their passion there's there's pathways in and out of that stream that i think gives everyone opportunities along the way and and kind of should be in my opinion a motivating factor is like i might not make it yet i might not have been invited yet but there's another entry point next summer in this opportunity or in three years down the road in, in this capacity. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a good thing. I think, um, yeah, there's going to be like, like you said, naysayers or whatever the case. And I think with all the programming, like I said earlier, there's going to be pros and there's going to be unintended consequences. So, um, is everything going to go perfectly? Absolutely not. But I think there's, um, a group in there right now that seems really motivated to pay attention to those unintended consequences and continue to keep solving them and, and continue to keep building, which is really exciting. Nice. Well said, even though you're not the official spokesperson, I think if we ever see a press release, it'll be a lot of those quotes there. So thank you for sharing that and putting you on the spot here. Uh, I will say I've taken up a lot of your time. We'll have to get you back on the show because I'm looking at my list. We haven't even talked about the difference between indoor and sitting. We haven't even covered like all, all your coaching career, even technical, tactical. But uh, I'm just looking at the clock. So we'll have to save this for round two. But to, to finish off your, your first debut here on Passing Dimes, we like to end every show with just a funny or unique story. So we, we've learned that you're just a, a volleyball person through and through from your playing career to coaching now. But something odd or unique wants to happen along the way. And hoping you can share a laugh before we let you go. Okay, sure. Yeah. So, um, I was, I was thinking about the, uh, the initial playing days for me, um, in college and we had, uh, coaches when we were at McEwen take us out to Victoria for, um, I don't know, it was mid season, probably Christmas tournament or something like that. And 
we, our coaches, just to be fair, also our coaches were like major pranksters. Um, and so this was not their idea, but they got on board really fast. A couple of us were like, we should try to convince all of the players that haven't seen the ocean before. Cause we had some landlocked individuals on our team. Like we should convince them that it's bad luck to not go in the ocean the first time you see it. <laughs> and so we had, we had like a few key players and then coaches totally on board of just like, Oh yeah. If you see the ocean for the first time and you don't submerge in the ocean, it's bad luck on the seas forever. And we just built it up for like a week and then get out there and we're in Victoria in December, early January. I don't even know what it was. And a bunch of our, farm gals had to <laughs> run out and <laughs> dive into the ocean of Victoria. Um, and on their way out, we told them that it was a lie. So I don't know. I don't have any, any really crazy ones, but I think just, yeah, just the fun that you can have in the team environment and the kind of extras to the volleyball world that <laughs> probably go unspoken often <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure we're trying to pull the pg ones on the show i think there's a lot of unspoken yeah. ones that only get shared at dinner and, and yeah. between friends so <laughs> yeah no i definitely went pg i do work with you so <laughs> <laughs> well this is awesome congrats uh, on all you've achieved so far and your role with the calgary dinos it's really exciting to see what you've already accomplished and what you're going to continue to build there and good luck with a, a busy summer i, I think you're going to be in the yeah. gym a lot so good luck with all the the youth athletes who kind of bring the energy and you can coach them up and get them on the pathway it sounds like you're up to a lot of cool stuff so thanks for sharing all that you did today yeah thanks for having me josh